Please open your Bibles, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Today I'm going to be talking about work. I'm going to be talking about toil. You know, we live in a society that values hard work and respects and honors hard workers. I'm sure you're like me when you were growing up. I certainly was for me. I, we, we probably were challenged often to be, be hard workers, right? Dave, you need to be a hard worker in whatever you do. Be a hard worker. And I'm sure like you, um, I heard all kinds of pithy statements, motivational statements uh, that were to motivate us and inspire us to hard work. I'm sure you heard some of these too. Here, answer, fill in the rest of this. The early bird catch, gets the worm, catches the worm, right. Um, you know, I, I kind of always liked the more practical corollary to that one, which was, I always arrive late to work. I make up for it by leaving early. Maybe you heard this one. Um, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Again, I, there was a more real corollary that I kind of identified with more. I like hard work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Did you hear this one? Maybe this one isn't quite as popular. What's the difference, uh, what's the difference between try and triumph? Yeah, just a little umph. Again, there's a better, more real a corollary to that one. Um, sometimes the best part of my job is that my chair swivels. Or this last one. You've heard this one. I would, I would rather risk wearing out than rusting out. Right, I'd rather risk wearing out than rusting out. And again... Uh, the practical, real corollary to that one. If work is so terrific, why do they have to pay you to do it? You know, work, work, work. We live in this society. We live in a day, again, where we highly value hard work. And we respect those who work hard. For you Hamilton fans, uh, Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers, you know, for him, his, his passion was a lot of different things. His work was a lot of different things. For him, it was writing. One of the songs they sing in that is, how do you write like tomorrow won't arrive? How do you write like you need it to survive? How do you write every second you're alive? Well, for Hamilton, it was writing. That was his passion, his work, his toil. What is it for you? The thing that you do that you kind of need it to survive, it seems like. Every minute you're alive, it's, you know, you're always at it. What is it for you? Well, today we look at Solomon's take on work. We look what Solomon, King Solomon had to say about toil. And we need to learn from this man who had been given great Wisdom from God. And on the topic of hard work, Solomon gives us a warning and a reminder. Before we look at the warning, you might say that Solomon was an expert on hard work. 
His accomplishments are impressive. They're quite a list, and Scripture in a couple of different sections gives us this list of the things that Solomon accomplished. Right at the top of the list is he built the first temple, the house of the Lord. It was beautiful there in Jerusalem. It was majestic. It took him seven years to complete that project. And after that project, he went on to build his own residence, the royal palace. It took him 13 years and all those workers to complete it. And in that royal palace, there was a hall of pillars. There was a hall of the throne. There was another hall of judgment. In 2 Chronicles 8, it tells of the many cities, many other cities that Solomon rebuilt. He built a water system for Jerusalem. He built fortifications for the city and for the nation. It says he built all these chariots and he built shields, shields of gold for his army. He built many military outposts. He built a port on the Red Sea. Then he built two fleets of ships One of the fleets was on the Red Sea. The other was on the Mediterranean. And that fleet of ships that was on the Mediterranean, they would go all the way to to Tarshish, which was a port in Spain across the Mediterranean. And it would take three years for that fleet to make that trip. And they would come back with gold and silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. He toiled and worked, Solomon did. Until 1 Kings 10 tells us that silver was as common in Jerusalem as stone. Solomon, an expert on working hard. An expert on toil and work. And here at the end of his life, Solomon looks back and comes to some conclusions about toil. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 through 23, Solomon gives us a warning about work. Before I put that warning in terms of today, let's look at these verses. Verse 18, it says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. He says, I hated it all. And many of us today might want to get right in line with Solomon in this. Well, you know, I hate my job too. I hate working hard. It's, what, right, it's another day in the salt mines, it feels like. Um, work, for many, work is a necessary evil. Maybe there's some in the room where work, it feels like a slow death. The daily grind, Right? But I think we need to be careful. We're going to follow Solomon's line of reasoning here. We don't want to be too quick to jump into line with this first phrase that Solomon gives. And and I do want, he does give us a very positive reminder later. But Solomon starts this way. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Hated. Was severely disappointed in it. Work had lost much of its supposed sweetness. And the sense of deep and lasting accomplishment that it had promised and enticed him with never panned out. 
He was severely disappointed in it. Why? For three reasons. Let's look at them. First in verses 18 through 19, because we can't keep it. 18, again, it says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Well, the first reason was because we can't keep it. Solomon's reasoning, the day will come when he will die and he will leave everything. All the results of his, his toil to his successor. And 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. So we leave it all behind. We can't keep it. Solomon reasoned, and that's exactly what happened. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, inherited all of Solomon's work. The moment that Solomon died, just like that, Rehoboam inherited it all. In verses 20 to 21, we see a second reason, and that is we can't protect it. Look at verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. We can't protect it. It's bad enough we must leave it all behind, but even worse, we might leave it to someone who might waste it. And maybe you know the story. How foolishly Rehoboam's decisions and choices led to a splitting of the kingdom. The two southern tribes followed Rehoboam, and the two northern or the ten northern tribes followed Solomon's servant Jeroboam. Because of Rehoboam's foolish and unguided decisions. You know, this isn't a statement against leaving something to our family. I, I don't think it's saying that. I, instead, I think it's a, a statement against basing all of life on our work. We can't keep it. We can't control it. A third reason in verses 22 through 23 is that we are burdened by it, all this toil. Look at verse 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. We are burdened by it. I mean, this is so practical. Verses 22 and 23, these are those workplace issues, right? Right? They're full of sorrow, a vexation, something that annoys and irritates and frustrates us. Even in the night, right, his heart doesn't rest. Those sleepless nights that we face because of our work. You know, when we think, I guess things really don't change that much, right? If Solomon was facing all of that, those are issues for today. Well, Solomon gives us, in these verses, 
a clear warning in these verses. Oh, before I go on here, there's another one I need to mention. It's not in this list. It's over in chapter 4, verse 4. When Solomon, again, is evaluating work, and he said in chapter 4, verse 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. How much of hard work even today is because of envious competition. Well, again, Solomon gives us a clear warning in these verses, and, and let me try to put it in today's kind of words, and uh, it would be this. Don't, don't find your meaning in work. Don't seek a legacy through work. Solomon comes to the end of his life, and all these accomplishments, all this work, all this toil, it wasn't where his meaning was. It, it really wasn't the kind of legacy that he wanted to leave. And folks, we need to hear this today, and we need to take it to heart. You know, no one on their deathbed, no one on their deathbed, there's... They're lucid then, and they could think about it. No one on their deathbed wishes they had spent more time in the office. Don't find your meaning in this life, in your work. Don't seek a legacy through work. Well, what should be our legacy? Well, that's a whole nother sermon series, isn't it? But what should be our legacy? I think Pastor Austin mentioned it before. The, the gospel, this, our relationship with Christ, the, the things of eternity, people, family members, those people that we love, those people that we are to help, those souls of the people around us. Worship. A legacy of worship. The thing that we're going to do for eternity is worshiping God should be part of our legacy today. Solomon in these verses gives us a warning. A warning about work and toil. And before we come to the conclusion that being a hard worker is unimportant and it's just worthless and, and as he, Solomon would say, it's like chasing the wind. And before we give up all our careers and you know, pick up and take up channel surfing and sleeping all day, uh, we need to have a real positive and biblical theology of work. And for us to develop a theology of work, Solomon's going to help us in the next few verses. But before we get to that, we need to look at some other verses. And we need to start at the very beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the story. If you would, turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And verse 15. Listen to what it says here in these verse, this verse. The Lord God took the man, and this is Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden... To work it and keep it. Now, if you're like me, it'd be great if that verse was after the fall, right? 
And it was after the fall, and now he puts them to work. No, this is before the fall. This is before that first sin. When God created Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So I think right away in this theology of work, we need to, be, we need to recognize that, that God created us to work. Now, the fall certainly made it more complicated. In the next chapter, over in Genesis 3, after the sin and, and after all takes place in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, the end of 17, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. God created us to work, and the fall made it just that much more difficult. And you know what? I think both of these are are important for us to remember when it comes to work. We need to remember the goodness of work. It was God's original design for us. But we also need to realize the struggle of work. Because it's under the fall. Don't be surprised in your jobs, in the toil of your life. Don't be surprised by the bad that there. Also, don't only see the bad... See the good as well. God created us to be workers. You know, when I think of work, there's really three phases of a person's work life. There's that pre-vocational stage. You know, during those young years, I, I like to think of them as maturing education. And for the students in the room, education it's, it's hard work. And God created us for this, to be growing and advancing. There's that pre-vocational stage. There's the vocational stage with our careers. And some people have that vocation, that, that a large part of their at home and with the family. But I like to think of that as, as growing diligence. And then there's the post-vocational stage. I suppose a lot of us call it retirement. But that post-vocational stage, which I sum up by serving opportunities. But in all of these, we are to be workers. God designed us, created us to be at work, using our abilities and our strengths and our minds. Well, as we develop this theology of, of work... We need to see what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 2, the next couple of verses, 24 to 26. And here Solomon gives us a reminder about work. Verse 24. Solomon says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Can I, can I just read that again? I think I should repeat it. Solomon repeats this five other times. He repeats this verse, or th- this common verse like it, six times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me read 24 again. There is nothing better for a person 
than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And as that's sinking in, let's look at the next verse too. He adds a little bit. He says in verse 25, For apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? True enjoyment in eating or drinking or working is only found in God, in relationship with God, being mindful of God. It's like the old farmer who prayed at every meal, Dear God, thanks for our food and for good digestion." I suppose he could have added in there, thanks for our food and for teeth so that we can chew, for the ability to swallow, for the digestion, the ability to take nourishment from our food, right? Because all of that comes from God. And when we eat and we're thankful for our food, but have we ever thought of eating as something that we do before God? And we find enjoyment with it, not because it's so pleasurable to us, because it is, but more so because God designed it this way. And God gives us taste buds and the ability to swallow all of these things. He gives that to us. And so we can eat and we can drink unto the Lord. And so we can work Christians, believers in God, those who are mindful of our Creator, as it says in Ecclesiastes 12, or those, one of the themes of Ecclesiastes, there is a Creator, and if you choose to live apart from Him, everything's going to be vain, everything's going to be vanity, everything's going to be meaningless, everything's going to be chasing after the wind. But if you live your life in relationship with Him and being mindful with him, of Him, everything you could do can be full of deep joy and deep meaning and usefulness. Those seeking to please God should be the ones who enjoy life the most. Those seeking to live life mindful of God should be the ones that enjoy their work the most. Verse 26 of Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon goes on. For to the one who pleases him, and I'm going to come back to that phrase, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. To those who aren't mindful of God and seeking to please him, 
their work can feel like just gathering and collecting. But for the ones who seek to please God, I think this is the key of what Solomon's saying here. And here's the reminder put in our language for today. Do all your work as unto the Lord. Or work, your job, is an opportunity for worship. I think that's a a, a thought shift for us. And I think we need to hear this today. The New Testament would echo this. The New Testament reinforces this exhortation. Listen to Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. Slaves, or maybe I today could say workers, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That job that you do, that job that maybe you're going to go to tomorrow, do that job unto the Lord as an act of worship. Over in 1 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. You know, it would be nice if we could say, well, I can do my work joyfully and unto the Lord if I have a good boss. Or it's a a good situation. But 1 Peter takes that right away, right? Even in those hard situations. We're serving God. And we can do our work as unto God. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, including our jobs. Now, if you know me well, you know I appreciate the Puritans of the the 16th through 19th century. And and, um, you could look at me and say, Pastor, now, now you're just talking about that old Puritan work ethic, right? That's all you're saying. And I disagree I disagree with a lot of that premise. What the Puritans did was not force a a work ethic or an ethic of hard work on people and on the church. Instead, they began to correctly understand the, the concept of vocation. Before their time, before even before the Reformation, it was that the clergy alone could serve God with their work. It was only the clergy could that worship God and, and do unto the Lord the work that they do. And everybody else, well, too bad for everybody else, all the best that they could do was make some money and support the clergy who were doing this work unto the Lord. The Puritans and the Reformers changed all that. 
and brought us back to the biblical idea of vocation, that God has called all of his children to a particular task or occupation, that our jobs, that, that career that we're following, all of that is included in God's will for our lives. And that all can be and should be done to the glory of God. A couple of the Puritans, listen to what Thomas Manton says about this. He says, for every person is God's servant and has his work to do in which to glorify God, some in one calling, some in another. I mean, that was radical change for them in those days. But I think it may be radical change for us today as well. William Tyndale, who lived in the late 1500s in England, he said, there is a difference between the washing of dishes and the preaching of the word of God. But as touching to please God, none at all. The preaching of God's word, the washing of dishes, can all be done as worship unto God. Or today, writers... Bob Thune, who was a crew writer and one of his, uh, his uh, classes on work, he says this, most non-Christians see work simply as a means to an end. Work prov provides a better life for their kids or beer money or a fat retirement. Unfortunately, many Christians see work in exactly the same way. We may be pursuing more Christ-like ends like money to tithe or an opportunity to witness to a co-worker. But our view of work itself is still fundamentally unchanged. We see work as a means to an end. We are using work. We're in it for what we can get out of it. God may be honored in the results of our work, but he is not supreme in our view of work itself. Or another current writer, Hugh Wetchell, in his book, How Then Shall We Work, writes this. Until Christians embrace the biblical doctrine of work, they will remain ineffective, helpless to impact the culture around them for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom. So work, dear people, Work must be more than it allows me to pay my bills. Work must be more than it, it makes me able to be able to give to God's mission. It has to be more than an opportunity to evangelize my co-workers. As great as those things are, there is more for us in our work life in our careers. Work is an opportunity to worship God, to please Him, to bring glory to Him, and in, is in so doing to find true enjoyment. As Richard Sibbs said, another Puritan long ago, the whole life of a Christian should be nothing but praises to God. I think Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 2, as he wrestles with the toil of his life and the conclusions that he comes to, he's calling us to seek a God-enthralled vision of vocation. 
Again, Solomon says this. I repeat it again because he did. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart, apart from him, who can eat or who can find enjoyment? May we hear these words today. I have three simple applications. The first one is this. Develop in your mind and soul a theology of work. Maybe you've done that already. If not, I encourage you to do that. A theology of work. And some of the components, we've talked about them today, some of the components that God created us to be workers, that all work is to be done unto the Lord, I would encourage you to investigate, to biblically study and consider if work is to be a part of heaven. And go to Revelation 24 or Isaiah 65. To start wondering about, is this what we're going to do for eternity? Is, is some kind of work going to be a part of that? In this theology of work, I think we need to develop, we, we need to remember the Ten Commandments, right? Remember that rest has to be a part of it. That rest was a part of God's design as well. And with that rest, this, this balance of all the priorities of life, I encourage you, whether you're a young person or you're in the middle of your career, wherever you happen to be, is to develop a theology of work. My second application is this. Remember to be realistic about your job. Realistic. There's going to be good and there's going to be struggle. There's going to be good because of God's plan and because of God's creation. There's goodness in work. God desires us, created us to be workers. But there's also, because of the fall, going to be struggle in work. You may get laid off, you may get fired, you may, get, uh, you may lose clients. There may be tensions with your boss or with co-workers. Don't be surprised by these things. Remember the good, remember the struggle, and remember also that the gospel is bringing redemption and restoration even to our workplaces. And watch how God uses you to impact the world around you. And my third application is this. Look, as you, look at your job as a worship service, as an offering unto God. In so doing, I believe Christians will be the best employees. They'll be the best bosses. Because they're going to be honest, they're going to be ethical, they're going to be humble and diligent. Look at your job as a worship service, as an offering unto God, and watch your enjoyment of work grow. Watch the meaning 
of your career grow? Watch your worship of God grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Solomon. Thank you for the wisdom that you gave him. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us. Lord, we live in this society that it is all about work, work, work. Lord, give us a right perspective. Challenge our thinking, our habits. Lord, use your word in our life. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.